life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. Hello, everyone. This is Jan Murray, your host of Life After That. And we are welcoming back Celia Kane from Canada as she continues her story of her and her husband David's journey through ALS. So welcome back, Celia. Thank you so much for joining us again at Life After That to continue your and your late husband David's story. Uh, we left it talking about um, after a reasonably long marriage, uh, he passed away in 2022. Can you uh, just review just a little bit and then take us into what you've been doing since uh, David passed away? So he was diagnosed in um, July of 2020, um, had his first symptoms uh, that were really noticeable during the pandemic. So we felt it took a while to get in to see the doctor, but, you know, having spoken to other cows, I know he actually got in to see the neurologist super, super fast. Uh, so he was diagnosed in July of 2020 and dead in July of 2022. So uh, despite having limb onset, it progressed very, very swiftly. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't hardly have time to really adjust and, not really. No. I mean, from, I mean, it's kind of like a blur to go that no. quick. I can't even imagine that going that fast. We built this extension so he would be able to move around in a wheelchair and he got to use it for not quite six months. Wow. Yeah. So during his progression, how were you, his wife, how were you handling things? Were you still working full time or were you with him full time? You know, what was it like day to day with you? For you seeing what you were seeing with his with his changes with the disease and just trying to manage life yeah so i i'm i have my own business i'm a uh, life coach and healer and i cut my practice down to only a very very few well-known you know, pre-existing clients who continued to have sessions. I didn't try and get new clients or market or anything like that. I went into the illness thinking that I could set up some things to have the business kind of plugging along while mm -hmm. I cared for him, but things happened very fast and there was no time for me to get those things established. And I also had, you know, three boys to take care of at the same time. How old were your children uh, during this time period? Um, so when he died, they were um, 14, uh, sorry, it's hard to, the middle one had just turned 13 and eight. Wow. That's like, that's tough ages to lose your dad. It is. Yes. So yeah, how have they been is. doing or how did they do during all of this? Because that's, it's hard for us as adults as educated adults to deal with the disease and how quickly it's taken a loved one. But how did your children that age, my son was 17, 18, and my daughter was 13, 14, 15, right in there. So I know how tough it was for them. What about your kids? And you had one as young as eight. Wow. 
Yeah. So it was really tough. They were home for much of it because of the pandemic. You know, they were in the house for a lot of it because of the pandemic. And there are advantages to that. You know, they got to see more of their dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's also the disadvantage of they didn't have the structure of school, of going away and going to school uh, for most of it, frankly. Um, they're, They're doing okay. Okay, and they did okay during as well. They're, um, they all react differently, of course. You know, they're different boys. And uh, I was very fortunate in that one of my former students uh, from back when I was a professor, uh, older sister, is a, a palliative care psychiatrist. And she consulted with me a few times, you know, got to know the boys you know, not very much, but enough that she could give answers on here's how you approach this situation and here's how you approach this other situation. Mm -hmm. And for instance, with with the youngest, you know, she felt that we didn't need to tell him daddy is dying quite right away. You know, the the older two kids, yes, because they would really, you know, they would Google. They could understand it too. I mean, they can, they understand what daddy is dying means where an eight-year-old still really is having trouble with it yeah so so we told him about uh the that the muscles would progressively weaken and then uh no longer function and uh and we told him that that we were still a family and we would always be a team and he could count on us and even if daddy wasn't here that we would still be you know a family so those are the two things we told him And it seemed to reassure him. And then it wasn't a week later that he woke up in the middle of the night screaming. And I went in to him and he said, mommy, are lungs a muscle? Oh. Yeah. And I said, yes, baby, they are. Mm -hmm. And he said, so when daddy, when daddy's lungs go, and I said, yes, baby, that's what that means. Yeah, that means daddy will leave us then. Yeah. And that's how our progression went. Wow. Yeah. So how did they and you do at the end there when you, I mean, it sounded like that happened very quickly too, just like progression. So how did everyone do at the end and how, and whatever happened and how did you handle it? The reason I ask these questions is so that anyone listening maybe perhaps can draw some knowledge from it and know how to handle it in their own situation. Well, while, while he was alive, while we were caring for him, you know, there were, we tried to make everything as funny as possible. You know, uh, we had a lot of silliness. Uh, We teased him. Uh, we teased David constantly. Um, I made him burritos, everything in a burrito, which part of the joke on that was he didn't actually like flour tortillas, <laughs> but but he could hold for a long time. He could, we could position his hands so he couldn't grip it, but we could position his hands together and he could support a, uh, a burrito or a chimichanga, I should say, because I I put them in the air fryer and made them crispy because that was easier to hold. And he could chew on that, you know, with his head. So he didn't have to be hand fed for, for a very long time. So we, yeah, um, I also discovered that um, 
until it was too hard to swallow, I could give him salad in a uh, rice paper wrapper. So there's a tip for you. Salad Absolutely. and a rice paper wrapper. Absolutely. That's so yeah. interesting. I never would have thought of doing that. Yeah. I, he loved um, key lime pie. Uh, so for his last birthday, I made him key lime eclairs, you know, because he could kind of hold, you know, well, it wasn't his last birthday. It was the uh, birthday before that. He could kind of hold the uh, eclair. Uh, and that gave him the texture and flavors and all of those things. That's really, really cool tip, I think. Yeah. 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 So we, in this extension we built, we have a, a very small room, which we rather grandly call the garden room. Uh, and most people would consider that like a passageway going outside. Uh, but we put a table in there. So uh, until the last couple of weeks, we were able to eat together as a family at least once a day. So we really focused on that sort of thing, on being together as a family and joking and laughing and and at a time when nothing is normal, trying to be, trying to have these moments of normalcy. Yes, that's really important. We did that too. Yes. We tried to do that as much as we could. Not that anything was normal about what we were doing, but we tried to give it a semblance of normalcy for sure. Yes. Yeah. And I, I also felt fortunate. My, uh, my mentor as a healer is the mother of another old student and she was widowed at 50. Uh, so she has been a great, great help as a grief counselor for me, but also speaking to my former student, my good, my good friend, uh, because she lost her dad at 14 or 15. Mm. Uh, so she's able to speak to that in a way that, you know, I, dealing with the day-to-day -day work of caregiving, you know, that I wasn't even able to process at the time. So mm -hmm. to just hear this is what it's like to be a teen and see your daddy dying. Uh, and here's my suggestion for things that I'm glad we did or I wish we did, you know, that made that made a big difference as well. I would have loved to have had that insight, especially with my daughter, because my son went ahead and moved on to go to college and moved on with his life during those last few years. And my daughter was still home, I guess, up until a couple of years before he died. And she had moved out, but her and her dad were so close. She was still really young. She finished high school two years early and went on about her way. So she was still real young. And I think I treated her too much like an adult and expected her to understand things and react to things as an adult as opposed to the daughter the apple of her daddy's eye and I, yeah. I I wish I could have had some insight and I think I would have handled things a little bit different for her because she still has a hard time with it all now she's very successful and she does has a great life but she still can't really talk about her dad it's just too hard for her but that is that is her work to do. That's not work that you can do for her. Yeah. And, and I finally realized that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not something that, that you caused, you know, uh, short of abandoning your husband to, you know, your 13 year old's care. Uh, there's really no way to to cause that. They just we just do the best that we can do. And, you know, there's. There's nothing else. That's it. You're right. I think uh, the lady I was talking to the other night on the show, we had talked about that. And I said, you know, 
I know I wasn't perfect. I did the best I could, but I hated caregiving. I don't care. I love that man more than life, but I am not a caregiver. And it was extremely difficult to go through that. And uh, I will, I I told her and I've told people, I I don't plan to ever remarry. I don't ever want to be in the position of a caregiver again. Uh, We were together almost 34 years and uh, very happy. And I can't even imagine trying to rebuild a life like that again. And I have no intentions of it. So, (laughs) (laughs) so what, what would you be, we'll go ahead and wind down in a second, but what would you tell uh, anyone who's listening who either has a pals now that they're caring for or they've lost and maybe they're struggling in some way or not, what has been the thing or more than one thing that's helped you to carry on? You're still very new to the grief I'm, process. I'm really. It hasn't still been very new. long. You're in the fog. I call it the foggy year. That year one. Yes. Is foggy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, it's yes. the year of fog. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, the main thing I would say is the prayer that I offered up was to send me all of the support I needed Mm -hmm. through the people I needed to be supported by when I needed it. And I have received that. That's awesome. I have had, you know, constant miracles of people appearing in my life to support me, to support the children, you know, to, to ease our way in this. And yes, I'm certainly still in this, in this early part of grief, but what I can speak to that I think is very useful is that grief is one element. And then there are all of the other things tied up in grief. Okay. And if somebody dies unexpectedly, there's shock, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered is that even when, you know, it was very clear that my husband was dying, you know, not just he had been diagnosed terminal, but he was dying at the time that, you know, he died. That was not unexpected at all. But even so, I felt shocked waking up next to a dead body Mm -hmm. where my husband had been the night before. Right. So dealing with the shock immediately as opposed to staying in the shock because the you know the shock rushes adrenaline and all of these other things through your body so if you deal with the shock then you can deal with the grief without those chemicals Mm -hmm. being associated with it if you don't deal with the shock and and everything else, you know, resentment, anger, rage, you know, whatever else you're carrying, and especially as caregivers, sometimes it's just exhaustion. Yeah, you know, and complete. lots and lots of us have PTSD because you're yeah. always, you know, on on alert. So those things, if you pick them away, then I think that grief is something you move through without constant disruptions Mm -hmm. and if you have these other things attached to the grief it's much much more difficult to move through it so this is not only my experience uh and what my mentor tells me but also you know from my work and which 
recently has been a lot of people who are grieving, which is really shocking to me. I did not expect to be doing that, but that's who is showing up right now as my clients, people who are in some stage at some point of grief, even if their loved one died, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. Cause I can say my mother buried my dad after 45 years and then she buried my stepdad after 13 years. And now I just buried my mom right after Christmas. But she said she's one of the reasons I was able to pick back up besides my bill telling me to keep on keeping on just, yeah. you know, um, she was like, you have to decide what you want for life and you have to get up and go get it because someone's going to bring it to you. Because I asked her one day, I said, how did you keep going, mom? How did you just recover from dad? And then how have you recovered from her bill? Because her stepdad's name was Bill. And she told me, she said, well, it was hard. And I didn't know what to do for the longest time. But I finally realized if I was going to keep living that I had to get up and go get life. Yeah. So that's, that's really good advice. Yeah. That made sense. And I also, and I posted this in the online Facebook groups before that that Bill was so full of life and such a positive force. And um, he made people happy till the very end. He was just that kind of person, but he fought so hard to live. I told myself one day, how dare you sit here and throw your life away? How is that honoring anything about him? And decided I had to do better because the first year, the foggy year, the one you're still in, I functioned I had to to survive I had to pay the bills I had to take care of everything and I'm the doer I'm the one that takes care of everything so that first year I was just going and doing everything I had to do to live to pay the bills to have a house to have a head you know somewhere to lay my head but then year two came year two was the hardest um it's like Oh, wow. I got to that next New Year's Eve, the new year without him. And it was hard. And I wasn't quite sure what to do. I would say year two was my rebuild year. It was truly my rebuild year, but I felt more lost and I wasn't sure what to do. And, but I did, I rebuilt my, I finished my master's, started working on the PhD. I changed my career completely, started teaching at the university. I started doing lots and lots of things in year two. So year two was a hard year, but it was the year that literally transformed who I am now. So yeah. I always tell people just hang on. Yeah. It will well, get it, better. It if, will. If, if I can offer a couple more pieces of advice, um, the first one going off of what you were just saying about essentially staying busy and staying active. So I have taken it upon myself to say, you know, what is it that I really love? You know, who was I before marriage and mm -hmm. certainly before children? Right. <laughs> you know, who were we together? And there are some things like gardening that I took up uh, in our marriage, you know, that I had nothing to do with beforehand. Um, but how can I pursue those and how can I uh, be involved in the community and get out and not just be, oh, I have to drive the kids here and here and I have to do this for my business and I have to, uh, you know, do check, 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 but also making sure that I am remembering who I am. I just actually, this is, this just happened. Uh, so we, you remember the, the bedroom, my bedroom now is in this extension. Mm -hmm. So we didn't live there before, you know, so I have no memories of our lovely life together 
you know, in that space. Mm -hmm. The only memories I have of him in that space are of caregiving and his dead body. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the room my husband died in. Mm -hmm. And I uh, had my guys come back in to repair all the scars from the equipment and stuff from the track and all of that stuff to make everything nice and neat and shifted furniture around that we couldn't have. I did all of these things and it still felt like the room where my husband died. Right. And I went, okay, so what, especially in winter, when I can't look out the window and see our garden, you know, what can I do that would make this space feel like me? And I actually decided to go and buy art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I used to go to galleries. I used to go to museums. I used to do all of these things as a, as a young woman. And I googled around and I found an artist I was interested in and I did a studio visit that happened to be at the same time as my mother-in-law's funeral overseas Mm. and it was so wonderful it was such a beautiful enriching deep experience and I have this beautiful art over my bed now and suddenly you know the entire energy and feel of the room is transformed and it feels like a space of of love and of joy and of beauty now as opposed to the room where my husband died right you know, which is what it was before exactly so, so part is finding things that you love and remembering who you were before you were a caregiver right and the other thing just two little exercises um my my mentor has me feel literally step into the feeling of the love that David gave me, mm-hmm. not just the love I had for him, but the love that David gave me, what that felt like. And that's been, I I think that that has moved me through the process a little faster because I've been able to do that as opposed to just completely blocking it and saying, no, it hurts too much. I don't want to, to, feel mm-hmm. anything at all right now but sometimes that's too much right. and I, I had a my mindset coach see i have a lot of support and i do that's again, wonderful and support so my mindset coach said pick a tiny little ritual of care that you can do for yourself that reminds you of david so every time you do it for yourself you know that's david caring for you so i chose making myself a cup of tea Mm-hmm. I am in general a coffee drinker, but he was a tea drinker. So if I make myself a cup of tea, you know, that's David caring for me. And it is so, you know, it feels loving and reassuring and comforting. And it really brings his presence to me in uh, in a way that is gentle and calming. I love that. I think I've done the same things, but in a different way. I rebuilt my life and I did reach back. I always wanted to finish my education. I always wanted to teach on the university level. Mm-hmm. All these things I've now accomplished one dream after the other that I gave up when I got married and became a yeah. mom. And so I found who I was before him and being his wife meant everything to me, but I'm pretty darn happy where I am now, but I feel him and I feel him like when I go out 
uh, out in the country where there's a public lake out there. He loved the outdoors. He loved the woods. He loved the mountains. He loved anything outside. Mm -hmm. So anytime I go somewhere like that, I'll talk to him. Or I look around and think, wow, Bill would really love that sunset. Or he would love seeing those kids fishing over there, you know. Uh, that's where I feel him. And I bought myself a tent and had my son go with me and go oh, camping great. on an island uh, a couple of years ago. He said, you want to go camping? I said, yeah, dad and I used to do that before we had you guys. And I said, I really would like to go camping. And I've bought myself a tent. And before my son arrived to that island, I had already put my tent up all by myself and set it up. And <laughs> I remember sitting there, Bill, you'd be so proud of me right now. I mean, doing things like that. And then my son taught me how to kayak that Bill and I canoed. We'd never kayaked, but my son taught me how to kayak. And I just knew Bill would love that I was doing that and that Bill, yeah. he would love that Jacob had taught me and that we were doing that together. So there that's where I feel that connection as well. Mm -hmm. And the other night thinking about something he loved, he loved a particular super easy poor person's dish. I think I call it ground beef and tomato rice. It's basically all it's in it with like seasoned salt. He loved that though. And he was raised in a large family and they got what they got. He loved that meal. And I, just suddenly the other day wanted to make it. So I made it and the whole, every night that I ate, cause I ate a little bit each night for a few days. I thought about him because I thought, Oh, he would love this. <laughs> this yes, would be the, yeah. It's flavored perfectly for him right now. So I totally get everything you say. And I think it's, I think it's spot on. And it's so important. I, I read a lot of the other widows and widowers comments sometimes, and they seem to be stuck in a space staring at a chair or, in a bed and it's you know i where i live now is mine i bought this this is mine bill was never here there's only yeah. a few things here that were ever any part of that life um and i'm actually glad of that because getting my own place with my own decor my own furniture made a big difference for me some people can't let go of that and that's okay but what i always tell them well just don't get stuck there at least change the room around, maybe paint it differently, get a new piece of furniture, something to make it just yours. Because if you sit there and you're sitting in their chair or laying in their spot and you're crying day in and day out, that's hard. Do that for a while if you need to, but don't get stuck. Yeah. And that's what I was saying about the, the emotions that come with grief, because yeah. that's what sticks you in grief right. when you have shock or PTSD or, or anger or any of any of those things that just right. hold you in that space where you're unable to uh, move at all. Right. right. So I think we're both on the same wavelength and telling people the same thing. It's just find some happy, try to yes. work on finding themselves before and making things their own. Yeah. So and, and don't apologize for your grief and mm -hmm. how it looks because it looks how it looks and everybody is different and everybody's different yep you have to grieve in your own time i see some people will say well i'm supposed to be in this this place of grief I'm please like, let break. go of the stages of grief let go just of the let go that is completely you know it's discounted these days just yeah it, it 
you will have those stages, but they come in all different times and they get whatever order and, they want to <laughs> and they repeat. And sometimes <laughs> grief will hit you when you're trying to struggle up the front steps with a bag of groceries and you need some help. It Over hits the you. carrots yeah. in the grocery store. Yeah. yeah. Stupid so, places. Little places like that. And you cry and you get mad and then you just like, oh, and you move on. And, and that's just how it is. But yeah, I, uh, well, I am. I think you're very inspirational. I think it's really cool what you've done so far. I'm glad to hear that you and um, your kids are doing well. I'm very sorry for your loss, just like I'm sorry for my loss and the loss of everybody Thank else you. that comes on this show. Um, I think you've given some valuable tips for moving on. And you've also given the tip about the rice paper and the Soft salad pot. yes <laughs> i'm just like blown away by that i'm like wow i never would have thought of that that's so i hope somebody gets that you know figures that, that that's a good thing for them to do and the japanese toilet oh my goodness and if you're listening to this show now uh folks out there in part one in the first episode she talks about this amazing toilet called a japanese toilet you need to have one <laughs> It is, it is so amazing. And when we did my boys' bathroom, yeah. they, you know, they totally don't need one. But, but I was like, this is the that. best thing in the house, and I barely have to clean it. We're getting one. <laughs> I want one now. <laughs> yeah, it is It is absolutely amazing. Totally Never worth it. Never even knew it existed. I just, that I'm just, blown. I can guarantee you that I will Google and or Amazon that. After, yeah, so the, the, brand, the brand I have is Toto, T-O-T-O. T-O-T-O. I wonder if Timu has it, <laughs> the new online thing. Oh, my gosh. Well, is there anything else you would like to add uh, to cap off your two episodes before we say goodbye for the night? Just know that your journey is your journey, and it's not going to look like anybody else's, and you are doing just fine. Good point. Well, I appreciate, Celia, you coming on and it and sharing your story and honoring your husband's memory and also offering so many great tips to everyone who are going through or are going to go through what you and I already have. And I just want to thank you once again for coming on the Life After That podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.